1: Hello, my name is Deborah Fitzgerald. I'm the editor of the Peninsula Pulse, and you're listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Today, my guest in the podcast room in Bailey's Harbor is Professor Kurt Paulson. He is a professor of urban planning at the University of Wisconsin Madison. However, his teaching and research focuses on housing, affordable housing, finance, and policy. Welcome, Kurt.
2: Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So we connected a couple of weeks ago because I'm interested in what is affordable housing. We have a lot of new housing units that are being built in Door County, and oftentimes they'll use terms like affordable housing, workforce housing and market rate housing, and there's a lot of confusion among people who look at their monthly budgets and try and see how it's possible that something that is supposed to be affordable for them is not actually affordable. So I started looking for people who are specialists in this area and came across a report that you wrote, Kurt which is called Falling Behind, Addressing Wisconsin's Workforce Housing Shortage to Strengthen Families. And it was packed full of great information. And so we connected, and now I want you to talk a little bit about what some of these things that we're talking about. For instance, workforce housing, what is workforce housing?
2: Right, so again, as you reflected, Deborah, lots of people are confused. And those of us who work in the field probably don't help things because all of us tend to use terms to mean different things. Hmm. So oftentimes that's part of the confusion. And you know, one way to think about workforce housing is that people started using the term about 20 years ago to distinguish it from what people think they heard when they heard affordable housing, quote unquote, affordable housing, which generally meant housing that was subsidized through one of the federal programs, usually with HUD or the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Okay. And so workforce housing was then thought to be the shortage of housing for people who make too much income to qualify for those subsidized units, but not enough income to really afford a decent place to live where near where they work. And so if you think about that kind of that middle range housing, that's what people often meant by workforce housing well the other way to think about workforce housing is it's kind of an economic development concept which is if the employers in your area are adding jobs you know they there's a range of wage scales then the question is is there enough housing at different price points and different sizes in your area to accommodate the workforce in your area because we think about my county of Dane County or your county of Door County when it's too expensive for people who work there to live there then they have to commute long distances and that causes all sorts of other problems.
1: Okay so the two measures that are primarily used to determine whether or not something is affordable one of them is that 30% of a gross income, and then there's another one that is 60% of the area's median income. Can you right. talk a little bit about both of those measures?
2: Yes. And uh, again, for your listeners, it doesn't help things when us housing experts immediately start going to a bunch of numbers and a bunch of math, mm-hmm. and people's eyes glaze over really quickly.
1: <laughs> but it's their ears this time, so we don't have to worry about Okay.
2: That. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So there's a different concept between what type of a housing unit is affordable to an individual family versus the kind of level of affordability within an area. And so that's part of the confusion is because something might be affordable for an individual family. But then when you look at the overall statistics for a a, a county or a city, the average price seems unaffordable to your average household.
1: So we're talking about places like Manhattan or San Francisco.
2: The numbers, even Dane County and Waukesha County in Wisconsin now, where the median price of a house is well north of $400,000. Okay. And again, when I say a house is $400,000, if your income is 125,000, maybe you're an attorney or a doctor, $400,000 400000 does not seem out of reach. It seems affordable to you, but for someone making 50000 it's not affordable. So let's start with the individual family, right? Mm-hmm. So we say that a family or a household should spend about 30% of their income on housing.
1: And that's gross income.
2: That's gross income. So that's pre-tax transfer, if you wanna get technical. So that's what we would consider money income. So it's pre-tax, right? And of course, most people who are listening are thinking, well, but taxes take a big chunk of your income, mm-hmm. right? And that's why the idea of 30% is 30% of your gross income should be spent on housing so that you have enough leftover spend on all of the other things in life. Okay. Including taxes, childcare, transportation, and food.
1: Okay, so let's just talk about that number a little bit that 30%, as I understand, was adopted in 1981 by Congress. And it was not based on any kind of analysis, it was kind of just selected and it was also supposed to include utilities.
2: Right, so I have tried to historical records to figure out where they came up with 30%. Mm -hmm. And the best I can figure out is that 30% is more than 25%, which from the 1950s through 1981, it had been 25% of income. Okay. And that, as best I can tell, is from a old rule of thumb, a week's wage for a month's rent, which huh. translates to about 25%, only if you think there's four weeks in every month. Okay. So it was not based on any real
1: analysis,
2: but it's kind of become the default standard in most federal programs.
1: Is it still useful? Is it still something that works given that we have different utilities and different expenses than we had in 1981? We never had cell phones. We never had Um, Wi-Fi. We didn't have, you know, digital needs.
2: Right. It's, It's the same question about the federal poverty line, which is based on how much did food cost in the 1960s Standard, right? And most people understand that although food costs have gone down, you know, healthcare costs have gone up, internet costs have gone up, cell phone, and so you're you're right. The utilities of a portability analysis in rental housing includes water, sewer, electricity, gas, heat, and cooling, but does not include internet or cell phone
1: or child care or healthcare. Yeah.
2: Right. So it's it's the best way I can describe it is it's a rule of thumb that kind of works because everybody uses it.
3: Hmm. So
2: everybody uses it, but there's, there's no way to imagine creating something other than that 30% rule that would really reflect the diversity of households and household situations. Why is that? And Well, you could make a couple of arguments. One, which is, when you have a federal policy, you tend to use a simplistic number so that it's clear to everybody what's the standard, right? Who's in, who's out, who gets the subsidy, who does not. If we had to try to create a either a tax system or a social welfare system where every individual household would submit their paperwork for differential eligibility, that just becomes incredibly burdensome on the government and on households to provide records, right? So if to be eligible for a housing assistance, if you had to submit all of your paperwork and all of your receipts on all of your other expenditures, that's pretty intrusive, right? Right. And we we implement a lot of social policy in the United States through the tax code for the reason that people are already filling out their taxes. And so the income levels and the kind of adjusted gross income is already calculated for you. So to get get back to the 30% standard, it's useful in the sense that it reflects this idea that after you pay for housing, you should have enough money left over for all of the other expenses in life. And the other reason it's useful is housing affordability, unlike other poverty programs like the poverty line, really does reflect for differences in cost of living between different areas of the country. So between urban and rural and suburban and the Northeast versus the Midwest.
1: Okay. So I guess the the devil is in the details of those words. I mean, after 30%, you should have enough to be able to afford everything else that you need to live. So, But we can leave that there for right. now.
2: Right. But, but as we know, that's just not true. And in fact, what we can talk about is for most extremely low income renter households, the vast majority are paying more than 50% of their income on rent hmm. and utilities, not just 30%. And the data is very clear that when you pay that much in rent, you cut your expenditures on things like food and healthcare and childcare and transportation, because as we say, the rent eats first, right? right? You don't want to be evicted. You don't want to become homeless. Or we know that for senior citizens who own their homes, maybe they don't have a mortgage because they've paid it off. But the combination of homeowners insurance, utilities, property taxes, still takes a pretty big chunk out of their budget, which doesn't leave a lot of money left for other sorts of expenditures.
1: Mm -hmm. So now moving on to the second measure, and and that is 60% of the area's median income. Can you talk a little bit about that formula?
2: Right. And here's where I will admit this gets a little wonky. Okay. I'm just going to walk your listeners through it. And this is also in public meetings when people look like they want to throw things at you. Because <laughs> it's- and just to be
1: clear, this number is important because it seems to be one that many are using to ascertain if something is affordable or not for a particular area. Right. So they're not using that 30% per se, they're using this one.
2: Right. And the reason this gets confusing is this is both a way of thinking about the overall affordability of an area. And it also serves as an eligibility criteria for a number of federal programs.
1: So then you don't necessarily have to abide by that 30% for federal and state monies for affordable housing. It can be the
3: 60%.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. the answer to everything in housing is yes and no. Okay. So let, let's take a step back. So like the federal poverty line which is the same measure in rural Alabama as it is in Milwaukee. The idea of tying housing analysis to the median income is to reflect the idea that all else being equal, areas with more expensive housing tend to have higher incomes. So it's a way of adjusting for housing costs across different counties, different metropolitan areas. So what what HUD will do is calculate the median family income for an area Mm -hmm. and they will adjust it for family size. So for example, a four person median income family in Dane County is about $118,000. And that sounds like a lot, but we are an expensive and high income area. Okay then what they will do is- they Let's will, read, I'm uh, just
1: going to interrupt you for a second. Let's bring that to yep. Dora County, okay? So Dora County's median income for 2022 is 82300 which is an 11.2% increase over 2021.
2: Right, and that's one of the issues that we're seeing between last year and this year is that incomes went up, quite significantly. And so the the calculation of what is the median on which all of this is based also went up, right? So in, in Door County, I have the income in front of me. This might be more helpful is if you think about a family of four, okay. that median income is, as you said, 82300 Right. So, but if you think of a family of three, then that would be for a family at about 50 percent or half of that median income would be thirty-seven thousand. So what what we do is we adjust these um, numbers for family size then we say what percent is that income of that median income and so as a general rule if your family's income adjusted for family size is less than 80% of what the median family income is then you're considered to be in hubspeak low income right and we calculate those at the 80% the 50% the 30% and then the 60% levels okay and the re- and the reason we do that is that this will not surprise you different federal and state programs are going to use different income limit cutoffs
1: so then the right? six, sure so then the 60% is one that is widely recognized the 60% of the median is widely recognized as one that makes housing affordable for a particular subset of people
2: right and so it's, it's, a, it's both more complicated and less complicated.
1: Sure, I understand so that, yeah. the,
2: the six, 60%, the reason we use 60% of the median income adjusted for family size is that is the upper limit for a number of federal programs, particularly the housing tax credit program that a lot of people have heard of and the multifamily housing bond program. Okay. And if you look at the data, As a general rule, households that make less than 60% of the median income tend to have a much more difficult time paying rent than households that make more than 60% of median income.
0: This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring... For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewaunee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org/careers. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Destination Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon Bay is celebrating public art in the best way possible, with cherries. 24 artists have created unique cherry art pieces on display throughout Sturgeon Bay. Explore these projects when you're out on our bridge walk or when looking for fun things to do with friends and family. Cherry's Jubilee walking maps are online or at the destination Sturgeon Bay Welcome Center. Find your favorite? Bid online today up until the auction on September 17th and visit sturgeonbay.net for photos, information, and auction details.
1: Okay. So what we're talking about here, if we use that family of four figure, which is eighty two thousand three hundred in Dora County, then sixty percent of that would be forty nine thousand three hundred and eighty. Right. So anything so that's the metric that we're talking about when we're talking about, you know, sixty percent of the median income in Dora County in twenty twenty two, if you make forty nine thousand or less, then you fit into that category.
2: Right. And what that means is that because it's an income limit, that means that if you applied for a, a rental unit that was income restricted because of the federal funding, then you would be eligible.
1: Okay. Now, with the median incomes, uh, and I hear this a lot, uh, median basically means 50% or higher and 50% or lower of that figure. Right. And it's the,
2: it's the middle of the, of the market.
1: Right. And so people in, you know, I can take Door County as well. We have a lot of retirement income up here where investment right. income is actually much higher than the wages of somebody who is, who is working full time. So if we were to look at the average annual wages, which are also calculated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and also by Wisconomy and Wisconsin by state, then those are always much lower than that median, that average wage. Why isn't that number used? Because those are the people who are actually working. And so if it's workforce housing, why can't the government simply use that number?
2: Well, there's... Two reasons, one of which is a significant number of households have more than one wage earner. Mm -hmm. And so particularly translating wage income to household income is a little tricky from an analysis standpoint, because we don't know how many workers are in each house and because households are the ones that consume housing units. So that's why we use household income rather than wage income. Now, you know, we talked about a four person household or a three person household, but a three person household could be two adults who are working and one child. Sure. Or it could be one adult who's working and two children. And those, that's the same size household, but quite a different profile in terms of how much wage income is coming in and what their housing needs are. So you're right, it's. Use wage income. But again, as we talked about before, when you're using a government analysis, you tend to use a more simplistic concept. And so the idea of using household income is what we do. And it it seems to work.
1: Okay, that, that, that's what I was go- going to ask because so much of the time when we're you know publishing the market rates versus the workforce housing you know rental units, which would be up to twelve hundred dollars in Dora County, most people who work up here say that is not affordable. Twelve hundred dollars is not right. affordable.
2: Right, and so again, using the math that we use, we then would say, okay, you translate. A household income at a particular percentage of median, and we translate that into what type of unit you can afford based on a monthly gross rent. Mm-hmm. So in Door, Door County, as you pointed out, a three bedroom unit at 60% of the median income, and again, that's a mouthful, is $1,284 a month. And a two bedroom unit would be $1,111 per month. And again, 60% of the median income. And for a lot of families, $1,100 a month does not seem like it's affordable.
3: It does and if not.
2: You, if you earn less than that, if you earn less than the 44000 we were talking about or the 49000 then even a unit at 1100 or 1200 a month does not seem affordable. Mm-hmm. And
1: it doesn't. So, I mean, at $49,380, which is, you know, the, the gross... Uh, A rent of $1,100 a month, most people or households that make less than that are saying, no way. That is not affordable.
2: And so if we go back to the fundamental problem in how we define affordability, it's the ratio of your housing costs to your income, right? And you can improve that either by lowering your housing costs or by increasing your income. Mm -hmm. And so... There's, there's two concepts that kind of are fighting against each other here. One, which is we look at the affordability in a region. So that's right at the middle of the market, mm-hmm. right? But then we realize that for people who earn less than the median wage, right? And these are, these are the people who clean the offices, serve in the restaurants, you know, production, manufacturing, these are people in the workforce but they just do not earn enough income to afford a decent place to live near where they work Mm -hmm. so then when we think about affordability households are forced to adapt in one of any number of ways right one of which is you can say well it's important for me to live close to where i work or in a neighborhood with good schools So that's going to cost me more than 30% of my income. So I'm just going to pay it, right? And then Mm -hmm. you're cost burdened and you have to find a way to cut back on something else or a household would say, well, to keep under that 30% of my income standard, I'm going to rent a lower quality unit or a smaller unit or one that's further away from my job. And so the price is lower but the quality is also lower, or maybe uh, we feel cramped because we have two kids in a room or three kids in a bedroom, right? And and that's uh, a difficult challenge. So households either pay more than 30% of income, or they live in lower quality units,
3: hmm.
2: or they live further away and drive, none of which is all that helpful to those families.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, it's it's because, particularly at the lower end of the wage scale, you just can't earn enough money to afford a decent place to live based on how expensive rental housing is in the area where you're working.
1: Sure. And that's a very clear and concise picture that you've you know painted for us there about what the problem is. Fundamentally, it seems like that equation that we're using to say that It should be affordable, is at the root of the problem.
2: Well, I'm not sure that the metric or the measurement is the root of the problem. The root of the problem is that on the lower end of the wage scale, incomes are not sufficient enough to afford the price of housing in an area. Mm -hmm. So, again, if we're thinking about policies, you can either increase people's incomes or you can lower housing costs, neither of which are easy or cheap to do right and i I think the other point i want to make is we used to think of a lack of affordable housing as primarily a problem for people on the extremely low end of the wage scale
3: Hmm.
2: but what we've seen in the last 10 or 20 years is that that affordability challenge is creeping up the wage scale so that even people who make forty thousand dollars a year or $45,000 a year are having a difficult time finding a decent affordable place to live not everywhere but certainly in Door County certainly in Dane County and a lot of our job centers we're seeing it in you know Green Bay Appleton area Brown and Outagamie counties as well sure and that's that's a twofold problem because the price of housing or the rental rate or the cost to purchase is going to reflect not only the demand in an area, number of people, jobs, income, the demand side, but also the supply side, mm-hmm. which I know you, you'll probably want to get into a little bit later.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the the rents, I mean, what your rents have grown faster than incomes. That's part right. of the problem, correct?
2: That's part of the problem. And that's been going on for the last Uh, 10 years as I showed in my report Mm -hmm. last 15 years right rents Mm -hmm. grow faster than income and so the the way to think about that is if your income goes up five percent but your rent goes up ten percent you're actually worse off so your your take-home pay after rent is less but rents have really accelerated in the last couple of years sure one of that factors driving that. Is that the cost to build new multifamily or new single family has just skyrocketed 35 to 40% in the last two years?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, in the long run, the way to bring down the cost of rent in an area is to build more rental housing
1: units. Okay.
2: Right. That doesn't provide a lot of short term relief, but in the long term, areas that build a lot of housing. Tend not to be as expensive.
1: So even if, for instance, uh, the city of Sturgeon Bay is building a lot of housing, they have a lot right. in the pipeline. So even if, say, 70% of those are market rate, and it's probably a little bit higher, how does that actually ease the affordability of housing issue?
2: Right. And so this is where some recent research gives us a term that I that I like to use it's called a vacancy chain so if someone is renting an apartment and a new apartment is built and that new apartment might be a little higher quality because it's newer then the person currently renting an apartment might move into that new unit which then frees up the older unit for someone at a different income scale so we do see that in the data that when you build new market rate units You know, by definition, they're going to be expensive because building something new is expensive. What it does is it relieves pressure on the market. Mm. So maybe think about it this way. If there's 100 people who want to rent apartments in an area. And there's only 80 apartments available for rent. You know, it's the lowest 20 percent of income folks who will be squeezed out. So, if you build more units in that area, then the people who are currently occupying a unit will move up. Right? Suppose you created a job in Door County uh, at a high income scale, and someone decides to move there for that job, and there's no housing available. They're still going to acquire housing because they're going to outcompete whoever's the next buyer mm-hmm. or the next renter. Right? So, building more market rate housing means that the price of housing or the rent for people on the lower end goes up more slowly, right? This is not automatically making it affordable. And yet... We know that if there is demand for rent in an area and you don't build the housing, then the rents will go up quickly disproportionately hurts people on the lower end. Sure. Right. So it's it's kind of a two step there, right, which is to bring down the rate of growth of rent, build a lot more housing in high demand areas. But there's no way to build something new that will be able to be rented by a person of of modest means just because the cost of building something new is really expensive.
3: Mm.
2: And therefore, if you wanna build something new that's affordable, you need subsidies. Or if you build something new that's market rate, then you open up units on the lower end of the rental market. Okay. But now, that's, when I explain that, that's not a very satisfying answer to a lot of people.
1: Well, sure. I mean, and because it definitely is a long-term solution. It's not a short-term solution. It doesn't right. solve, you know, if I'm an employer, who is you know employing uh, I, some I need
2: workers today.
1: Right, exactly. And so it's it's not a short-term solution and and it doesn't it doesn't promise that my employees are going to be able to, you know, afford housing after those market rate units are built and, you know, that right. vacancy chain, you know, gets operating. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily promise that. So, I imagine it's not a satisfactory answer always.
2: Right, and particularly if I'm an employer, if I see that a a development company is building 100 units of rental housing, there's no guarantee that my employees are going to be in that housing Mm -hmm. as opposed to the hospital down the street or the school district or other people who are also competing for workers and trying to get workers into an area. And so, particularly in a place like Door County, Right, where you have a more tourism-dependent economy. you know We're seeing employers across the state who are thinking, boy, it's something I'm gonna to have to get involved in, right? And it's, it's not just tourism areas, it's manufacturing in smaller towns or rural areas,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or even in places like Waukesha, where you have lots of people, but you just can't get enough workers at UNO, you know, even at a 20 or $25 an hour wage in manufacturing. Because they can't afford a $400,000 house or a $1,500 a month rental unit.
1: Sure. And that is happening up here. The service industry definitely is at the cutting edge of that. So many places now assure that they can, at least for seasonal workers, that they have housing for those seasonal workers in order to be able to bring them in for, you know, the tourism season. Uh, we right. haven't seen that so much in manufacturing, and yet the manufacturing employee shortage is is critical up here as well as it is in places all across the country and Wisconsin.
2: Oh, absolutely. I you know I talk to economic development directors around the state all the time, and you know Sheboygan County has about three thousand jobs opening mm. right now in manufacturing. There's no housing. Mm-hmm. Barron County has a thousand jobs open right? What is it? Uh, the, the pizza place in Medford, they can't get enough workers. Ashley Furniture can't get enough workers, mm-hmm. right? And these, these are good jobs at good wages. But, you know, I've heard of manufacturers who will run bus system to pick up workers and drive them 60 miles, mm. right? And of, of course, if you're an employer, that's probably cheaper than building housing. But that's why when I see housing committees forming around the state, it's usually employers who are pushing this, saying to local communities, "Hey, we're creating lots of jobs, but you need to create opportunities for more housing to be built for the workers who are going to take these jobs."
1: Mm-hmm. So now, these uh, a lot of the issues that that you've brought up, these these didn't happen overnight. There were nope. housing shortages, you know, more than a decade ago. There were there are lots of reports that you can see that forecasts this happening. At the current rates of building and at the current rates of the population and workforce needs. So you can see that that was forecast at least and that this could happen. And then the pandemic hits and you see double digit price appreciation for housing prices. People are thinking, well, it caused this, you know, then all of the shortages and all of the incumbent issues that have developed. But this is not a new problem. Would you call the pandemic like a tipping point? Uh, no, you know, I would.
2: I would call the pandemic that you know housing, particularly in the last decade, is always on this kind of slow crisis. So it's like it's like a burning ember, mm. right? And then the pandemic is just fuel on the fire. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I think of it: is you had these underlying problems,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and then you just throw all sorts of craziness from the pandemic on it, right? And so, you know, in at least a couple of different ways. So one of which is, you know, of course, the cost of building anything new went way up because of supply chain issues, lumber issues. But then it also affected housing demand because a lot of people were looking around and saying, boy, if I'm going to be cooped up with my family, I need more space, right? And so particularly people were moving out of the kind of really expensive, more urban uh, first tier markets and moving into smaller areas. You know, if if you can work from home three days a week and you have good internet, you know, maybe having a house near the water in Door County is, is a pretty attractive possibility.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Now if you're working in Milwaukee and you have to commute from Door County to Milwaukee every day, that's just something you can't do. But you know, if you can work from home, why would you live in an expensive suburb? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's altering demand. The other kind of structural factor we have is that, you know, the millennial generation is the largest generation in in American history. And every year they get one year older. Mm -hmm. And so the pandemic may have paused a lot of things, but it didn't pause aging. And so millennials are surging into that peak home buying year. Mm. You know, millions more families in the kind of 25 to 40 year old range right. their peak home buying years and so you have a surge of demand from millennials a surge of demand from the pandemic and a shortage of supply
1: because the baby boomers the second largest generation is staying in their homes longer they're living longer they're right. you know not not giving up that housing stock either
2: which which is i mean it's a good thing right that sure. they're living longer and staying in their housing but that poses a number of challenges both for large cities and and smaller rural areas which is as they stay in their home and want to age in place right then you have to think about paratransit and healthcare services delivered to the house plus you have you know people who may be one or two person households living in a in a four bedroom uh, suburban ranch style home you know that's a large unit for a smaller family mm-hmm. so one of the one of the interesting things is we have not built a lot of kind of smaller townhouse condo style housing for seniors to move into so that they can free up that housing for families right and that's also driven by the fact that most communities around the state through their zoning ordinances what they really want is that kind of larger lot single family detached house and if that's the only type of thing you can build then that's the only thing that gets built but that doesn't work for most families for whom that's an expensive and a large housing unit Mm -hmm. so to think about the vacancy chain if you have an area where you have a lot of baby boomers who are still living in a detached owner-occupied house and you could build a nice kind of townhouse or condo style community they might move out and then they would free up that housing for uh, for families with kids
1: Mm. so in that Also, I want, I mean, we've kind of unpacked the affordability issue and, you know, defined what that means, why we have those metrics and if they still actually apply. And so when you look at all of the different factors that are contributing to the affordability issue, uh, it's good to understand those. And we, you know, want to bring that awareness to it. But I also wanted to point out that your report lays out lots of solutions to all of these different factors, and you've gone into you know a couple of those. Zoning is one. Changing zoning so that it makes it easier to build. A, you know various types of housing, and then building more housing. So those are two of the solutions that really can address that affordability factor. And and you have others in your report as well, Kurt. And can you maybe discuss one more that is really prescient?
2: Well, so we've already talked about how when a local community thinks about its housing needs, what they want, what they should do is think about can we build not only more housing, but a greater variety of housing to meet the needs of all these different households, different income levels, different sizes. And so that is something I wanna emphasize, right? In most communities in Wisconsin, you cannot build a townhouse or a duplex or these kind of smaller houses on smaller lots. And there's a market demand for those that is not being met. Mm -hmm. So, but once, once we put aside that kind of zoning bucket of policies, then the other main local governments and the state government can consider are financing options. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a couple of those examples, right? So in an expensive area where it's hard to recruit workers, you'll find that many young families might wanna buy a home in that area so that they can settle down and be part of the workforce. But the down payment is just very hard to save for. Mm -hmm. When your rent is high, it's hard to save for a down payment. And so if you're having to save fifty dollars or $60,000 for down payment, that's really hard to do. So a kind of proven effective strategy to expand home ownership is down payment assistance programs. Hmm. And there's some from the state through WIDA, local employers can pool their resources for a down payment assistance program or, or a special program to recruit and retain their workers. Mm-hmm. Local governments have gotten into that area too, right? And- All of these programs working together can help younger families save for a down payment. Okay. The other main financing tool that we're really short of in the state is dollars for home repair, right? Hmm. Because we talk about a lot of senior citizens staying in their home. But, you know, I talk to people around the state and we're hearing that for many of these senior households, they're living in older housing, Mm -hmm. right? Wisconsin has a much older housing stock than most of our neighboring states. I I talk about that in the report, right? And housing that is like any capital asset, it needs reinvestment and maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for a lot of seniors who own their homes, we hear this all the time. They own the home. The home is getting old. It could use some upgrades in terms of maybe the HVAC system or repairing the roof, but the homeowner just doesn't have enough money to pay for that they're hesitant about taking out an additional loan because they've already paid off the mortgage, and that's an area where it also constrains younger families moving into an area. Because if I'm moving into an area and the only housing is older housing that needs repair,
3: mm.
2: you know that just looks very difficult in terms of a mortgage to qualify—not just to purchase the house, but to add in sixty or seventy thousand dollars in Kind of repair and upgrade right up front. Okay. So we, we're really lacking in a good product for home repair for older housing, right? Because if we think about affordability, to go back to our earlier conversation, you know, in a high demand area, you want to build a lot of new housing, but that's going to be expensive and only serve higher income households. So most families, when they buy a home, it's going to be a, an existing home. There's no good product for home repair. Grade improvement modernization and then the, the third issue of course the rural areas of the state is high speed internet mm. and if you don't if you don't have high speed internet you get a lot of people moving to your area
1: sure and we're facing that in dora county right now there is a county wide sure. initiative to bring broadband to all of the communities up here so everybody's really kind of gotten behind that And is working on that because I think that is one thing the pandemic illuminated was what happens when you don't have access to good, reliable, affordable internet service. So it sounds like maintaining the housing stock that you do have is as important as building new housing stock.
2: Right. Because even if we, you know, waved our magic wand and started building at the scale and pace that we used to build at. Right? At most of any of your housing stock in any year is new, which means 98% of it is existing housing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, when we think about challenges to stabilizing a workforce and getting home ownership into an area, right, that means if you're going to help younger families to buy older homes, there needs to be a financial product that helps them to roll the cost of the repairs and upgrades into the cost of the initial mortgage. Okay. Right now, that's just very hard to do.
1: Right, right. Now, in closing, Kurt, I was wondering if you have any good models to give us, like this county does this really well in terms of trying to come at this at, you know, multiple angles to make housing more affordable for everybody.
2: Right. Well, the the reason I don't like to give models is every county is different. And so, The examples I would use will depend on, you know, pulling together a team of people in your county or in your city to really look at your zoning ordinances, your employment profile, your uh, existing housing stock, your income profile. So the, the best practice I can give you is not a particular program or tool. It's the idea that you want to organize a group of people usually involving employers, local governments, you know, schools, churches, hospitals, developers, and really sit down together and strategize and brainstorm on what are some implementable solutions in your area.
1: Okay, well, that's and, that's And then that's once good. you
2: do that, there's... There's a large toolbox from other places around the country that you can use, but the most important thing is to get organized.
1: Yeah, sure. And then Door County is definitely headed in the right direction because that's already happened here. We were a pilot project for WIDA and it brought together, you know, the community foundation, the Door County Community Foundation brought together a number of different people, all walks of life, and uh, they came up with a number of different solutions that could work to tackle this from certain angles and you know they did come up with you know a a corporation that would be a a lending corporation a financial corporation for developers right so so good i mean that's good to know but the other
2: part of it is you do have to maintain a continuous outreach and education campaign with your local citizens because You know, let's be honest about part of the challenge is when I talk about how expensive housing is, if you already own your home, you don't actually think there's much of a challenge or much of a crisis because you're seeing, at least on paper, your value keeps going up. Right. And so if I already have housing and that housing is getting more and more valuable, it takes a lot of convincing for me to say, okay, I'm going to not oppose, you know, someone building smaller houses on smaller lots or duplexes and townhouses in my neighborhood or in my city so that other people have a chance to live here just as I have a chance to live here.
3: Right.
2: right? So there really is this uh, kind of community education and persuasion effort to get those who currently have housing and are doing okay to kind of acknowledge that there's a crisis. And if we don't do something, then we're going to continue to have this, this crisis.
1: Sure. So it could it could always be the not in my backyard uh, types of uh, protest. Yes, we have a housing shortage. However, I, I really don't want condos in my neighborhood.
2: Right. And as I like to say, if every neighborhood says, oh, we're full, we can't take any more housing, and yet we have a housing shortage, we need more housing, then the question has to be put to leaders in the community. Well, where are we going to put it? How much and what type? And you can't just set up a system where everybody gets to veto and say no 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 right that's why door county is is impressive with the efforts you've had so far which is how do we get the community to say yes both to building more housing but also then these these financial uh tools to build more affordable housing and to really think about how employers can partner with the communities to develop the type of housing that suits the needs of their workers
1: Okay. Well, Kurt, that's an excellent place to leave it. We could probably talk for hours. I know I could. I have so many more questions for you about this, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I think it's been very interesting. So I'm talking with Professor Kurt Paulson, and he's a professor of urban planning at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. However, he's also an economist. He teaches and his research focuses on housing, affordable housing, finance and policy. And he has a report that I encourage people to check out, which is called Falling Behind, Addressing Wisconsin's Workforce Housing Shortage to Strengthen Families. And uh, thanks so much, Kurt, for being on with us. You're listening to the Dora County Pulse podcast, and I'm Deborah Fitzgerald, editor of the Peninsula Pulse. Thanks, Kurt.
0: Thank you.